Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically, on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy, listeners from coast to coast and from the Gulf to Canada and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Yup, your hayseed from Wyoming, bringing you the Cowboys take. Lots to cover and a special treat for you today. Number one, we're going to be covering a problem in education, and there's plenty of them, that you're probably not aware of, but it's huge. Number two, we're going to be doing our rat-a-tat-tat toward the end of the show, and I got lots of jaw-dropping stuff. And I promised you, and I'm going to bring you up to speed on what's going on with gun control, which obviously is going berserk, based on the very, very, very suspicious circumstances down there in Texas, and the god-awful killing of those kids, and all the (sighs) cowardly and inept, or was it intentional, trappings that went along with it. And there's some new studies out on the efficacy, or lack thereof, of the uh, COVID jab. I'm going to share that with you. And remember, we have the COVID page, probably the best collection on the web anywhere. Just go to ontherightsideradio.com, click on the COVID page. There's other pages, too, that I think will bring you up to speed and give you a wealth of information from experts around the world. But on our historical story today, you know, I was going to bring you the kind of the history of conservatism versus progressivism. Not conservative versus liberal, whole different deal. But basically, free market, individual rights versus the more communistic theme that progressives love. Big government, total control, state-controlled economy. But I remembered a speech that Ronald Reagan gave on October 27, 1964. And I think it is apropos. And it will tell you more about this ongoing struggle between those who would like to control and those who wish to be free. And I think that Ronald Reagan's words will be far more powerful than mine. In fact, as you listen to this speech, think about this man in 1964 going over all the points that he covers. Compare the numbers that he's using to the numbers today. Note the similarities in the forces he and conservatives then were fighting to the forces we are fighting today. I really think you will find it absolutely riveting. And as is the custom on On the Right Side Radio, let's start off our story today with some quotes from the mentor of the founders, Thomas Paine. Those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it. How apropos that will be to the historical story you're going to hear Ronald Reagan tell you today. And then another from Thomas Paine. Government, even in its best state, is but a necessary evil. In its worst state, an intolerable one. Also apropos to this week's show. Let me give you a little rant story that's going to tie right in too. So, it's been dry out here and it started raining last Friday going into Memorial Day weekend, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained. And at first, of course, we were jubilant. I mean, greening grass, rain, parched earth, soaking up the drops. But then, because we have all our reservoirs brimful, storing what we thought was going to be a very dry early summer, we started running into problems with too much water. 
And eventually we had to what's called dump water, which is circumvent the entire irrigation system and get it back to the creek so you don't flood yourself out. And it was quite the mess. And as the water subsided a few days ago, I realized that we had an emergency. It created a mess of mud and rocks and all sorts of washed out things. And then it went back to normal. And now we're cleaning up and it'll be better than ever. And I think that's apropos too for this week's show. So without further ado, let's get into our historical story, which you can hear from Ronald Reagan himself. Think about what he says compared to what you know of today. You will be flatly amazed. As for the peace that we would preserve, I wonder who among us would like to approach the wife or mother whose husband or son has died in South Vietnam and ask them if they think this is a peace that should be maintained indefinitely. Do they mean peace or do they mean we just want to be left in peace? There can be no real peace while one American is dying someplace in the world for the rest of us. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. And it's been said if we lose that war and in so doing lose this way of freedom of ours, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. Man's own old age dream, the ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. In this vote harvesting time, they use terms like the great society, or as we were told a few days ago by the president, we must accept a greater government activity in the affairs of the people. But they've been a little more explicit in the past and among themselves and all of the things I now will quote have appeared in print. These are not Republican accusations. For example, they have voices that say the Cold War will end through our acceptance of a not undemocratic socialism. Another voice says the profit motive has become outmoded. It must be replaced by the incentives of the welfare state. Or our traditional system of individual freedom is incapable of solving the complex problems of the 20th century. Senator Fulbright has said at Stanford University that the Constitution is outmoded. He referred to the president as our moral teacher and our leader. And he says he is hobbled in his task by the restrictions of power imposed on him by this antiquated document. He must be freed so that he can do for us what he knows is best. 
And Senator Clark of Pennsylvania, another articulate spokesman, defines liberalism as meeting the material needs of the masses through the full power of centralized government. Well, I for one resent it when a representative of the people refers to you and me, the free men and women of this country, as the masses. This is a term we haven't applied to ourselves in America. But beyond that, the full power of centralized government, this was the very thing the Founding Fathers sought to minimize. They knew that governments don't control things. A government can't control the economy without controlling people. And they know when a government sets out to do that, it must use force and coercion to achieve its purpose. They also knew, those Founding Fathers, that outside of its legitimate functions, government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Now, we have no better example of this than government's involvement in the farm economy over the last 30 years. Since 1955, the cost of this program has nearly doubled. One-fourth of farming in America is responsible for 85% of the farm surplus. Three-fourths of farming is out on the free market and has known a 21% increase in the per capita consumption of all its produce. You see that one-fourth of farming, that's regulated and controlled by the federal government. In the last three years, we've spent $43 in the feed grain program for every dollar bushel of corn we don't grow. Senator Humphrey last week charged that Barry Goldwater as president would seek to eliminate farmers. He should do his homework a little better because he'll find out that we've had a decline of five million in the farm population under these government programs. He'll also find that the Democratic administration has sought to get from Congress extension of the farm program to include that three-fourths that is now free. He'll find that they've also asked for the right to imprison farmers who wouldn't keep books as prescribed by the federal government. The Secretary of Agriculture asked for the right to seize farms through condemnation and resell them to other individuals. And contained in that same program was a provision that would have allowed the federal government to remove two million farmers from the soil. At the same time, there's been an increase in the Department of Agriculture employees. There's now one for every 30 farms in the United States. And still, they can't tell us how 66 shiploads of grain headed for Austria disappeared without a trace and Billy Solestis never left shore. <laughs> Every responsible farmer and farm organization has repeatedly asked the government to free the farm economy. But how, who are farmers to know what's best for them? The wheat farmers voted against a wheat program. The government passed it anyway. Now the price of bread goes up, the price of wheat to the farmer goes down. Meanwhile, back in the city, under urban renewal, the assault on freedom carries on. Private property rights so diluted that public interest is almost anything a few government planners decide it should be. In a program that takes from the needy and gives to the greedy, we see such spectacles as in Cleveland, Ohio, a million and a half dollar building completed only three years ago must be destroyed to make way for what government officials call a more compatible use of the land. The president tells us he's now going to start building public housing units in the thousands where heretofore we've only built them in the hundreds. But FHA and the Veterans Administration tell us they have 120,000 housing units they've taken back through mortgage foreclosure. For three decades, we've sought to solve the problems of unemployment through government planning. And the more the plans fail, the more the planners plan. The latest is the Area Redevelopment Agency. They've just declared Rice County, Kansas, a depressed area. Rice County, Kansas has 200 oil wells and the 14,000 people there have over $30 million on deposit in personal savings in their banks. 
when the government tells you you're depressed, lie down and be depressed. We have so many people who can't see a fat man standing beside a thin one without coming to the conclusion the fat man got that way by taking advantage of the thin one. So they're going to solve all the problems of human misery through government and government planning. Well, now, if government planning and welfare had the answer, and they've had almost 30 years of it, shouldn't we expect government to read the score to us once in a while? Shouldn't they be telling us about the decline each year in the number of people needing help, the reduction in the need for public housing? But the reverse is true. Each year, the need grows greater. The program grows greater. We were told four years ago that 17 million people went to bed hungry each night. Well, that was probably true. They were all on a diet. <laughs> but now we're told that 9.3 million families in this country are poverty-stricken on the basis of earning less than $3,000 a year. Welfare spending 10 times greater than it was in the dark depths of the Depression. We're spending $45 billion on welfare. Now do a little arithmetic and you'll find that if we divided the $45 billion up equally among those 9 million poor families, we'd be able to give each family $4,600 a year. And this added to their present income should eliminate poverty. <laughs> Direct aid to the poor, however, is only running about $600 per family. It would seem that someplace there must be some overhead. <laughs> so now we declare war on poverty or you too can be a Bobby Baker. <laughs> now, do they honestly expect us to believe that if we add $1 billion to the $45 billion we're spending, one more program to the 30-odd we have, and remember this new program doesn't replace any, it just duplicates existing programs, do they believe that poverty is suddenly going to disappear by magic? Well, in all fairness, I should explain there is one part of the new program that isn't duplicated. This is the youth feature. We're now going to solve the dropout problem, juvenile delinquency, by reinstituting something like the old CCC camps. And we're going to put our young people in these camps. But again, we do some arithmetic and we find that we're going to spend each year just on room and board for each young person we help, $4,700 a year. We can send them to Harvard for $2,700. <laughs> of course, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting Harvard is the answer to juvenile delinquency. <laughs> but seriously, what are we doing to those we seek to help? Not too long ago, a judge called me here in Los Angeles. He told me that a young woman who'd come before him for a divorce. She had six children, was pregnant with her seventh. Under his questioning, she revealed her husband was a laborer earning $250 a month. She wanted the divorce to get an $80 raise. She's eligible for $330 a month in the Aid to Dependent Children program. She got the idea from two women in her neighborhood who'd already done that very thing. Yet any time you and I question the schemes of the do-gooders, we're denounced as being against their humanitarian goals. They say we're always against things, we're never for anything. Well, the trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant, it's just that they know so much that isn't so. Now, <laughs> we're for a provision that destitution should not follow unemployment by reason of old age. And to that end, we have accepted Social Security as a step toward meeting the problem. But we're against those entrusted with this program when they practice deception regarding its fiscal shortcomings, when they charge that any criticism of the program means that we want to end payments to those people who depend on them for a livelihood. They've called it insurance to us in a hundred million pieces of literature. But then they appeared before the Supreme Court and they testified it was a welfare program 
They only used the term insurance to sell it to the people. And they said Social Security dues are a tax for the general use of the government. And the government has used that tax. There is no fund. Because Robert Byers, the actuarial head, appeared before a congressional committee and admitted that Social Security as of this moment is $298 billion in the hole. But he said there should be no cause for worry because as long as they had the power to tax, they could always take away from the people whatever they needed to bail them out of trouble. And they're doing just that. A young man, 21 years of age, working at an average salary, his Social Security contribution would in the open market buy him an insurance policy that would guarantee $220 a month at age 65. The government promises 127. He could live it up until he's 31 and then take out a policy that would pay more than Social Security. Now, are we so lacking in business sense that we can't put this program on a sound basis so that people who do require those payments will find they can get them when they're due, that the cupboard isn't bare? Barry Goldwater thinks we can. At the same time, can't we introduce voluntary features that would permit a citizen who can do better on his own to be excused upon presentation of evidence that he had made provision for the non-earning years? Should we not allow a widow with children to work and not lose the benefits supposedly paid for by her deceased husband? Shouldn't you and I be allowed to declare who our beneficiaries will be under this program, which we cannot do? I think we're foretelling our senior citizens that no one in this country should be denied medical care because of a lack of funds. But I think we're against forcing all citizens regardless of need into a compulsory government program, especially when we have such examples as was announced last week when France admitted that their Medicare program is now bankrupt. They've come to the end of the road. In addition, was Barry Goldwater so irresponsible when he suggested that our government give up its program of deliberate planned inflation so that when you do get your Social Security pension, a dollar will buy a dollar's worth and not 45 cents worth? I think we're for an international organization where the nations of the world can seek peace. But I think we're against subordinating American interests to an organization that has become so structurally unsound that today you can muster a two-thirds vote on the floor of the General Assembly among nations that represent less than 10% of the world's population. I think we're against the hypocrisy of assailing our allies because here and there they cling to a colony while we engage in a conspiracy of silence and never open our mouths about the millions of people enslaved in the Soviet colonies in the satellite nations. I think we're forating our allies by sharing of our material blessings with those nations which share in our fundamental beliefs. But we're against doling out money government to government, creating bureaucracy, if not socialism, all over the world. We set out to help 19 countries. We're helping 107. We've spent $146 billion. With that money, we bought a $2 million yacht for Haile Selassie. We bought dress suits for Greek undertakers, extra wives for Kenya government officials. We bought 1,000 TV sets for a place where they have no electricity. In the last six years, 52 nations have bought $7 billion worth of our gold, and all 52 are receiving foreign aid from this country. No government ever voluntarily reduces itself in size. So government programs once launched never disappear. Actually, a government bureau is the nearest thing to eternal life we'll ever see on this earth. <laughs> federal employees number two and a half million. And federal, state, and local, one out of six of the nation's workforce employed by government. 
These proliferating bureaus with their thousands of regulations have cost us many of our constitutional safeguards. How many of us realize that today federal agents can invade a man's property without a warrant? They can impose a fine without a formal hearing, let alone a trial by jury. And they can seize and sell his property at auction to enforce the payment of that fine. In Chico County, Arkansas, James Weir overplanted his rice allotment. The government obtained a $17,000 judgment and a U.S. Marshal sold his 960-acre farm at auction. The government said it was necessary as a warning to others to make the system work. Last February 19th at the University of Minnesota, Norman Thomas, six times candidate for president on the Socialist Party ticket, said if Barry Goldwater became president, he would stop the advance of socialism in the United States. I think that's exactly what he will do. But as a former Democrat, I can tell you Norman Thomas isn't the only man who has drawn this parallel to socialism with the present administration. Because back in 1936, Mr. Democrat himself, Al Smith, the great American, came before the American people and charged that the leadership of his party was taking the party of Jefferson, Jackson, and Cleveland down the road under the banners of Marx, Lenin, and Stalin. And he walked away from his party and he never returned till the day he died. Because to this day, the leadership of that party has been taking that party, that honorable party, down the road in the image of the Labor Socialist Party of England. Now, it doesn't require expropriation or confiscation of private property or business to impose socialism on a people. What does it mean whether you hold the deed to the, or the title to your business or property if the government holds the power of life and death over that business or property? And such machinery already exists. The government can find some charge to bring against any concern it chooses to prosecute. Every businessman has his own tale of harassment. Somewhere a perversion has taken place. Our natural unalienable rights are now considered to be a dispensation of government. And freedom has never been so fragile, so close to slipping from our grasp as it is at this moment. Our democratic opponents seem unwilling to debate these issues. They want to make you and I believe that this is a contest between two men, that we're to choose just between two personalities. Well, what of this man that they would destroy? And in destroying, they would destroy that which he represents, the ideas that you and I hold dear. Is that incredible? 57 years ago, you could have been talking about today just substitute trillions for billions, change the names of the progressive Democrats clamoring for more big government, communism and socialism, and voila, and then put it on steroids, and here we are today. But now for the rest of the story. Remember that founder's mentor's quote I gave you at the beginning of the show? Those who expect the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it. Thomas Paine. Does it tie in or not? You know what Reagan's speech was entitled? A Time for Choosing. A Time for Choosing. And folks, it is. It is time to stand up. Are you involved in the upcoming elections? Are you going to have eyes on down at the polling place? Are you checking the registrations? Is your group organized? Are you supporting your candidates? Are you giving money to the candidates who need it? Are you working with your state legislatures to get laws back in place or return laws from the COVID nonsense that ensures election integrity? If not, you better. Are you writing checks to candidates? If not, you better. It is an investment in this country, your future, your family's future, and your security, both financial and physical. Get off the couch, folks. 
Get motivated. Five months away is the midterm elections. We better win them. Now let's shift subjects, although they're kind of interrelated. This is about education. So in addition to all the other problems with education and the history of education in the United States is another historical series I did. You can once again get it on the historical page on the rightsideradio.com. Click on historical page. In addition to all the problems, we're losing teachers by droves. There are not enough educators in our system now to educate the kids. Much of this comes from the post-pandemic, you know, scamdemic, classroom behavioral challenges, ongoing staff shortages, kind of we went into the quote-unquote scamdemic with shortages. The National Education Association, which itself is highly left-leaning, released a study. 55% of their teachers plan to leave the profession ahead of schedule. By the way, the NEA represents 3 million educators around the country. In 2021, there was a RAND study. A quarter of all the teachers surveyed expressed the desire to quit after just one year of teaching during the last two years. The national turnover rate in teachers was 16% before the COVID nonsense. In 2021, the numbers jumped to 25% and is now increasing dramatically. 80% of NEA members have reported that unfilled job openings at schools mean there's more work for the educators who remain, which burn them out further, which leads to increasing resignations. You know, it's a catch-22. And a lot of this goes to what they are seeing in the classroom, kind of the the scale of mental health challenges that students have brought back after two years of so-called online learning. One veteran teacher, a guy by the name of Rickard, said, quote, two years of excessive screen time at home and the disengagement of online learning have left students struggling, falling behind, and adrift in a sea of depression. Their behavior is aggressive or ex- excessively troublesome in the classroom. The American Academy of Pediatrics, this is October 2021, said that there has been a huge jump, and it's now a national emergency, in pandemic-fueled decline in child and adolescent mental health. Another problem is they can't get any school counselors. The same teacher, Rickard, quote, we haven't had a counselor all year. Nobody even applied, unquote. There was a study in Connecticut, Department of Education, And basically what it found was that schools with fewer students and more counselors had lower rates of student suspensions, disciplinary actions, problems, etc. The American Association of Colleges for Teacher Education, this problem, folks, is long-term, okay? In 2019, U.S. colleges awarded less than 90,000 undergraduate degrees in education. That number was 200,000 a year in the 1970s. Over the past 10 years, the number of people completing, you know, traditional teacher preparation programs has dropped by 35%. There's another teacher I'll quote for you here. Her name is Lisa Carly Hodling. I'm being forced out, that's a quote. She's in California. So despite this teacher shortage and increasing teacher shortage, California is insisting that qualified teachers who have like 10 years of classroom experience basically go back to school, get a master's, and do all sorts of other nonsense. I mean, once again, government, right? (laughs) Remember the Reagan speech? Yes, government gets in the way. 
Quote, that only gives me a one-year credential. Then I'll be required to return to school what I'm already doing in the classroom. It makes no sense, and I have to pay for further education on top of it. And then on top of that, there's no substitute teachers. And since there's no substitute teachers, they kind of fell off the face of the earth during the scandemic. Well, guess what? That's more work for the existing teachers, which is leading to even more resignations. Get involved with your school board. Find out what's going on. See where you can help. This is your kids. This is the country's future. Do you remember that incredible open fields doctrine we discussed in detail last week? The feds remarkably maintain these anytime they want, for any reason they want, for any length of time they want, they say. And SCOTUS has so far agreed, last ruling in 1984. Let me give you an example. Northwest Tennessee, Benton and Henry Counties. Two farmers, Terry Rainwaters and Hunter Hollingsworth. They're out and they found active fish and wildlife trail cameras on their properties. U.S. Fish and Wildlife refused to remove them because of the open fields doctrine. That's still in court. Basically, folks, open fields powers, as contrived as they may be and as unconstitutional as they may be, remain in place right now for all the federal agencies, even when state constitutions, Mississippi, Montana, New York, Oregon, Vermont, Tennessee, and Washington, prevent state officials from entering and operating on private lands without a warrant. I'm going to bring you more of this in the future. Let's talk about the Chinese Communist Party. The extent of agricultural theft of American intellectual property by the CCP speaks volumes. And it's costing American farmers and agriculture $255 billion to $600 billion each year. Each year. And it runs the gamut from online theft to field theft to seed theft to infiltration, espionage in practices and machinery. It is unbelievable. It is part of the Chinese doctrine. Now, let's talk about the morass of gun control legislation that's been pending and which has sprung up in the wake of these highly suspicious string of mass shootings, all by perps with the exact same MO, all with kind of similar circumstances, and all with one big glaring thing, you know, and that is their problems, their mental health problems, which were well known to police and others, just never popped up on Nick's. Hmm. It's your law enforcement folks like the FBI at work, folks. So there is no way to go over everything that's going on. There is 50 or 60 or more pending pieces of legislation, some of them kind of strengthening gun rights, but most of them obviously attacking them. A complete list of pending legislation is on the website. Go to the gun control page. Look at gun control articles. Look under the audio bar for the most important current events. You can take a look at everything that's pending in synopsis. It's, uh, it will boggle your mind. And by the way, it's supposed to, you know. The more spaghetti you throw at the wall, the more likely something is to stick. But in general, in general, Democrats obviously are jumping up and down, trying to take advantage of a ghastly situation out there which is suspicious. I will repeat that once again. There are no coincidences. Clyburn, he's introduced a bill that would close the Charleston loophole. Basically, if you don't get a reading back from Nick's when you make your background check, after three days, you get to buy the gun anyway. And we have so-called Bipartisan Background Checks Act of 2021. 
it expands background checks for all gun sales and transfers. Basically, it screens out felons, it's supposed to anyway, illegal Im- immigrants, spousal abusers, the severely mentally ill, <laughs> gee, what happened to the last three shootings, or another category. In addition, it closes the loophole, they call it, of buying guns at like a gun show, where sometimes you don't go through background checks. Now, none of these guns in the mass shootings of the last many years, or the last three, were bought at gun shows. But you know, they can't track it, folks, and they want to track it. And these bills, none of them is about your safety. None of them. They couldn't care less about your safety. Just look at what's happening in crime in all the major cities and the nothing that's being done on it. There was a compromise measure that was put together by Manchin from West Virginia and Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania some years back, where the background check requirements, like through gun show sales and internet sales, expands but not transfers between friends and family. Uh, Manchin has recently suggested focusing on mental health, which, by the way, wouldn't be a bad idea, but it doesn't do any good to focus on mental health if it doesn't get reported to the NICS system or the FBI doesn't put it in the NICS system. does no good whatsoever. You have Jamie's Law. This, you'll love this, okay? This would pro- prohibit certain people from purchasing ammunition and would require background checks to purchase ammunition. That's Blumenthal from Connecticut and Wasserman Schultz from Florida. I mean, what would you expect out of them? Then we have red flag laws. That empowers family members and law enforcers to seek kind of an extreme risk protective order, which bars people from buying or possessing firearms if a federal judge agrees. There's a compromise bill in there which says that a medical professional has to be involved in making that determination. It can't be just a, you know, upset boyfriend, girlfriend, divorcee, whatever. And then other bans which are coming up, a ban on assault rifles. I mean, I'm using the term advisedly. Basically, a ban on semi-automatic weapons. By the way, Canada just introduced a bill, thank you Trudy up there, to ban all handguns, period. All handguns in Canada, along with other very restrictive measures. So this is a growing tsunami of control, anti-firearm control, and anti-firearm thought is a reach for control going on in all these progressive administrations basically around the planet, but particularly here in North America and America. Oh, and then they want to hike the age requirements surrounding gun ownership from 18 to 21. A prohibition on high-capacity magazines, a prohibition on suppressors or silencers. I've already told you about the prohibition on so-called ghost guns. Basically, everything that you see happening here is not about safety. It's about registration. It's about a list of firearms owners. They actually, they're one of the bills actually requires you to have a federal license to buy a handgun. It's good only for five years. It can be revoked anytime for a whole bunch of reasons. To get the federal license, you need mandatory training on-site and a test. I'll reserve my comment on that for another show. And we're going to be going to this gun control thing often over the next several months as it permutates, bubbles, boils, percolates, and evolves. Right now, you have the major gist. If you want the specific details, the website on the right side, radio.com. Click on gun control. By the way, the real danger here is Rhino Republicans, Lindsey Graham, Susan Collins, Tom Tillis, Murkowski, and our friend Mitt Romney from Utah joining in with the Democrats 
as some of them have already expressed the wish to do. You know, in the wake of all this, just in the last several weeks, there was an Antifa shooter. His name is Samuel Young. Okay, he was convicted of seven felonies in a July 2020 shooting in Aurora, Colorado. Basically shot a guy who got, or shot at a guy and hit several of his own people along a highway where Antifa was blocking the roadway and one owner of a Jeep got out to talk to them. His sentence, 120 days in jail and five years of probation. And folks, he was credited with the 50 days he's already served in jail. Rat-a-tat-tat, we're going to blow through this because, as always, we're running out of time. Remember, you can get the Rat-a-tat-tat stories in detail if you wish. Just click on the Rat-a-tat-tat button on the right side, radio.com. Our president, Cadaver, in Japan, he characterized the soaring cost of gasoline as, quote, an incredible transition opportunity. Quote, when it comes to gas prices, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that God willing, when it's over, will be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels when this is over. And you think this is an accident, folks? These high gas prices, five bucks for gas, six, seven bucks for diesel and going up. Yeah. Okay. Gee, all the little hidden treasures in the bills that are passed by Congress that nobody reads. So the... <laughs> The $1.9 trillion stimulus bill that we didn't need, that's fueled inflation, known as the American Rescue Plan. You know, the COVID stuff. Yeah. Gee, it has all sorts of provisions in it. Guess what? One of them is going to affect you, all of you, in one way or the other. Basically, under the rule, e-commerce and digital payment platforms, you know, like Square, like Venmo, like eBay, are now going to have to report on a Form 1099-K, including to the feds, if they receive more than $600 in a calendar year from any single source. Hmm. And, by the way, that also has its greatest impact on rank-and-file entrepreneurs who use platforms like other platforms, Etsy, Airbnb, Uber drivers. Isn't that great? By the way, this was, <laughs> this was lowered in this bill that nobody read, that we didn't need. This was lowered in this bill from a previous threshold of $20,000 and at least 200 transactions. That was the previous requirement. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Ah, yes, we can rely on them. CDC. They have revised their travel advisory from level one to level two because of monkeypox. <laughs> yeah, okay. The agency's website. This week was updated, quote, cases of monkeypox have been reported in Europe, North America, and Australia. Oh, my. <sighs> Some cases were also reported in people who live in the same household as an infected person. Travelers should avoid close contact, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Here's the who chiming in on this. Remember, they're trying to get world control of your health and override the sovereignty of nations. I've brought you that story over the last several weeks. Go to the website. Listen, let's see. We don't know if we're just seeing the peak of the iceberg or if there are many more cases that are undetected. Ah, we're still at the very, very beginning of this event. We know that we will have more cases in the coming days. But this is not a disease that the general public should be worried about. It's not COVID or other diseases that spread fast. Unquote. Remember those words, folks. That's going to change. I'm not worried about monkeypox. I'm worried about how they're going to use monkeypox on the upcoming elections. The U.S. Census Bureau just came out with a report, I think it was May 26, actually. Guess what? 
nine of the 15 largest cities in the country, all of them democratically run, hmm, must be a coincidence, are losing massive amounts of population. New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Jose, Philadelphia, Indianapolis, and San Diego, just to name a few. Hmm. And yet they doubled down on their policies. What do they know about the election, folks? What do they know about the election? On the international front, which we're really going to get into in detail next week, Sri Lanka has erupted. I mean, starving citizens are literally burning politicians out of their homes, hanging government officials, etc. Pakistan, a nuclear power, remember, is like coming apart at the seams. You don't hear any of this on the mainstream media, of course. Okay. Pakistan has now refused to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Terrific. And Sri Lanka is on the verge of collapse. And Israel is rattling its nuclear weapons saber because of cadaver slash Obama's rebirth of the Iran talks and the fact that Iran may be only weeks away from actually having a nuclear weapon. Terrific. It's just great. And then on the COVID front, gee, Another 10,000 cases of material adverse effects or deaths has mysteriously disappeared from the VAERS reporting site. Hmm, what could be going on? Must be those cyber gremlins, you know, that get into these systems and make changes, etc. And the Pfizer docs, I told you about them last week, that have now come out, which covered up 42,000 material reactions and 2,000 deaths during the trial of these jabs. Well, now we're learning more, okay? And that is, there has been a huge uptick in all causation deaths, particularly heart and circulation related, which Pfizer knew about and the FDA knew about prior to emergency use authorization. I'm going to keep you updated on this story because it's huge. One of these days, some attorney or group of attorneys is going to figure out that this was a fraud, it's not a vaccine. They are not protected, and there's going to be trillion-dollar lawsuits probably across the globe. And you know what? It couldn't come fast enough. Well, we're at the end. Incredible. It's just never enough time. I want you to think about Reagan's speech. I want you to think about today's events. And please look in that mirror and repeat after me with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and across the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Next week, big international show. It'll be eye-popping for you. And rat-a-tat-tat, more on gun control, which is percolating by the day. And, of course, our historical story on America's international relations since inception. Have a great week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the right side.